Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you are about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. directly to Muslims throughout the world. We respect your faith. His teachings are good and peaceful. Our actions today were not aimed against Islam. The faith of hundreds of millions of good, peace-loving people. Islam has a developed doctrine, theology, and law that mandates violence against unbelievers. All right, I want to welcome you to the culmination of our series, Islam, Can We Coexist? If you're visiting, I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Liquid Church, and uh, this has been an incredible few weeks, because this series has been eye-opening, it has stretched a lot of our hearts, including my own, And today we have the privilege of hearing from somebody who is uniquely qualified to give us an insider's view that you will hear nowhere else and uh, about the tension that really exists between the crescent, the cross, and even the star of David. His name is Mossab Hassan Youssef, and he is the son of Hamas. You may recognize him from CNN or Fox News. His father, Sheikh Hassan Youssef, is actually a founder, leader of Hamas, the terrorist organization that is responsible for countless suicide bombings, terrorist attacks inside of Israel. And Massab's had a remarkable journey that has taken him all the way from Ramallah in the West Bank right here to Liquid Church in New Jersey to share his story with us. So we're very fortunate. Uh, Massab was born into a Muslim family, and as an integral part of Hamas, he witnessed behind-the-scenes dealings with Middle Eastern leaders uh, who make global headlines. Um, because he was an integral part of the Islamic movement, he was imprisoned several times by the Shin Beit, that's the Israeli intelligence service. He withstood torture in prison to discover that Hamas was actually torturing its own people in a relentless search for collaborators. And that's when he began to question who his real enemies were. Was it Israel and the Jews, or was it America and Christians, or was it Hamas, his fellow Muslims? And it was during that time that a British cab driver invited him to a Bible study where he was exposed to the teachings of another Middle Eastern leader who preached a very different, very radical message he'd never heard before. That is, love your enemies. And that began a six-year quest which not only endangered Masab's life, but actually changed it forever when he renounced Islam and became a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. His book, Son of Hamas, is absolutely riveting. It is a New York Times bestseller, a gripping account of terror, betrayal, political intrigue, and unthinkable choices. Uh, He describes his incredible journey from a family of terrorists to the family of God. And folks, I can't think of anyone more qualified to conclude our series. He is living proof 
of the radical transformation that is only possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ, which makes peace between God and man and makes brothers out of enemies. I'm proud to call him my brother in Christ. And Masab, I want to invite him out here. Would you guys give a big warm welcome to Masab Hassan Youssef? Thank you, my brother. Just so glad that you are here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Please sit down, sit down. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. It's good to be here. Um, I'm very excited. When I was invited uh, to this uh, conference, I was very happy to see this uh, title, Can We Coexist with Islam? It's a big question out there. And uh, I would like to share with you where I'm coming from, something about uh, my background. I can talk for a long time, and I don't want to bore you. So I'm trying to be brief as much as I can. Please, if you have any questions, I can answer later on. And uh, Pastor Tim also has a bunch of questions. So hopefully we will be able to cover as much as we can. Where I'm coming from? I'm coming from uh, uh, the town of Ramallah in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria in the, in the Bible. And uh, I was born for the one of the most uh, conservative uh, Muslim uh, families. Uh, my family's business is Islam and the Islamic Sunni revolution. So simply, you're not uh, listening to someone who came from the Middle East and he was just a traditional Muslim or he has no idea what he's talking about. I went to a Sharia law school. I studied and memorized a huge portion of the Quran. I know what the Quran is all about. I know what the Sunnah is all about. I know all the Islamic resources. I studied and learned about the Islamic doctrine from my father and from, this, from school. And uh, my father, my family, we paid very high price for the cause of Islam. There is no family in the Middle East who paid such a price for the project of Islam. Me personally, today I'm standing here, maybe I have credits on the scale of Islam more than 99% of Muslims. So when I criticize Islam today, please to understand that I'm saying this from a very strong position. And I am not saying it to entertain you or to make Muslims mad. I'm saying it because we are trying to find a way for peace through the truth, only the truth. Not by compromising with the devil or just saying what's politically correct, regardless what the truth is. So this is where I'm coming from. My father is one of the founders of Hamas movement. How many people know what Hamas is? Hamas is the Islamic resistance movement was established with two main goals. To destroy Israel and build an Islamic state on the rubble of the state of Israel. Hamas goals are beyond Israel. Hamas wants to establish at some point a global Islamic state. Hamas is the legal baby of the Muslim Brotherhood the biggest Islamic movement in the world that is working here on the American soil in every university, and it's a legal organization. 
What's funny that the United States of America consider Hamas as a terrorist organization, but the Muslim Brotherhood is okay, while they are the same exact organization. My father is the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, and he's the leader of Hamas as well. Now, somebody who grew, grew up in this, under this circumstances, what are you expecting from him to be at some point? At the age of 18, a new terrorist was born. I became a terrorist. I didn't know that I became a terrorist. Like many terrorists in the Middle East, they are not terrorists in nature. Their environment creates them and makes them into terrorists. Their God, their Quran, their prophet, their society, the entire belief system makes them into terrorists. So at the age of 18, I was ready to take revenge for the glory of Allah and as a way of worship. Killing Jews, killing infidels, which they call it resistance, defending the Islamic uh, uh, nation, whatever they can uh, wrap it in a nice uh, way, but it's violent. And unfortunately, this is how you please the God of Islam. This is the only way, in fact, to be guaranteed that you're going to heaven by killing and getting killed for the glory of Allah of the Quran. So at the age of 18, I had the ideological reasons and the political reasons to become a terrorist. Did I view myself like that? I never. I thought that I was doing the best thing that a human being could do. Now, I was arrested. Thank God that the Shembeid, the Israeli intelligence, was smart enough and I was stupid enough <laughs> not to be careful. So my plans were exposed and I was arrested. I was tortured. Israel doesn't tolerate anybody who's trying to hurt the state of Israel. Israel uh, maybe violated some human rights. But no one wants to be in the shoes of the state of Israel. I'm not here to defend Israel, but I'm here to say the truth. Because sometimes when I step in the shoes of Israel, a small country in a, a huge ocean of hate, and uh, everybody wants to destroy Israel. So sometimes Israel has no choice but to uh, face violence with some violence. So I was tortured for three months. I, I don't want to go through this. I wrote about it in my book in details, what happened while I was 18 years old. And this provoked hate toward Israel more and more. Every moment I was spending in that underground facility somewhere in Jerusalem. So I thought that I am going to take revenge more than any time. I thought about it in my past. And uh, during that time, the Israeli Shembet offers me to work for them. And I was saying, 
are those guys idiots or what's their problem? <laughs> they're arresting my father. They're arresting me. They're killing my people, occupying our land. Now arresting me, torturing me. I'm losing my school, everything. And they're asking me to work for them. Of course, the Israeli intelligence, they are willing to work with the most dangerous evil ones in order to bring security for their state, which is something make them different than other intelligence services. Now, I thought this might be a golden opportunity to infiltrate the Shembeid and to attack them from inside. This is how much I hated them. And as I told you, I had all the reasons. Personal reasons, political reasons, ideological reasons, and I was ready to go. Whenever I get a chance, I'm going to take revenge. And revenge was the answer. Now, I agreed to work for the Shambet, and I had one goal, to destroy them from inside. 18 years old, kid thinking like that. I hope I didn't scare you guys. I'm talking a lot about destruction, torture, and things like that. Uh, it's uh, a little intense, you know, for a church, but this is very important for um, what we are uh, planning to talk about. Now, I was transferred to the prison where other prisoners spent time. Why? Because I was caught with weapons, and the Shembe told me, if we release you, people will start to ask questions. So you need to go and spend a short time in Israeli prison, like everybody else, then you will be released, and after that we will talk. And the short time was 16 months. That was their promise. In, you know, in their vocabulary, in fact, this is a short time. 16 months is, is okay. You know? So I lost everything. I lost my school, and I waited a long time. But what happened during the 16 months that Hamas members were torturing other Hamas members? Brutally. They killed many of their own members. What was the accusation that those people had a relationship with the Israeli Shembet and they gave information? I practically had a relationship with the Shembet. What if my father's own movement that he helped establish discover me now? What would they do? Torture me as well and kill me? Now, I came up to the Hamas people, and I told them, I give my promise to the Shembet and help me out. I want to infiltrate them and try to do something good for my people by taking revenge from their enemies. And they didn't want to take part of that. They were suspicious of me now, but they couldn't torture me. They were, of course, you know, for my father's position. Now, they were simply hypocrites. They tortured others who didn't have even a relationship with the Shembet, and they did not torture me, who I had a relationship with the Shembet, because of my father's position. Now, I can talk about this experience. It's a crazy experience, and I have a whole chapter in the book um, writing about what was happening, that it's hard to believe even today. When I go back in my memory, it's hard to believe what was happening. But what I learned during that time What's the difference? I start to ask myself, what's the difference between Hamas torture and Israeli torture? Why do I hate Israelis for torturing me, killing, me, killing my friends, and arresting my father, 
and I don't hate Hamas for torturing our people. What's the difference? This is torture and this is torture. Why don't I go ahead and take revenge from Hamas now for doing this and for being hypocrites as well? And uh, I decided that that's it. When I am out of prison, I am not going to interfere with Hamas, with Israel. I'm just going to go and find any other life. When I was released from prison, the Shimbet called me and they said, are we still on our deal? And I wanted to meet them, you know, and just say, thank you so much. I don't want to work for you. I don't want to work for anybody. In the first meeting, I was shocked to know that everybody who was tortured in prison on the hands of Hamas were innocent people for a simple principle that the Shembet does not work in networks. Hamas used to torture a prisoner and he would confess, say, I know this person, that person, and he would mention a hundred names inside prison and outside prison. That wasn't true, because the Shimbet would never recruit someone and connect him with a hundred other agents in the field. So if one is caught, the entire Shimbet agency is, is discovered. So I start to question. Hamas base was on getting information, and this is how they used to torture everybody, based on other information from other people who were tortured. Simply. I start to learn from my enemies, that was the first thing that I learned, and was true, that I did not learn from my own people. And my own people were lying and deceiving themselves and the others. So that opened a weird curiosity in me that drove me to learn more from my enemy this time. I never trusted the Shambet on that level. And I still hated them for torturing me. But I start to learn from them. And down the road, I'm talking about two years of journey, we became friends. And we started to trust each other. The second Palestinian Intifada started. My father was on the top hit list of the Israeli intelligence and the Israeli government. I trusted my enemies who I wanted to kill with the life of my father. And they were responsible. Even my father was one of their enemies. They did not kill him or harm him because I was in the picture. For me. Three years, my father was in his cave hiding somewhere. I want to say cave, you know, he was in a, in a secret apartment. That even he did not trust his Hamas fellows to know where he was. I was the only one who knew where he was. And the Shembet. He was hiding from the Shembet where they knew about his location all the time. And they were protecting him from the IDF. I remember, now the intelligence wouldn't go until the IDF, you know, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, that, you know, the son of Hassan Yusuf works for us because of that we are not arresting Hassan Yusuf. They wouldn't say that. They just go and encourage the IDF, where is Hassan Yusuf? Look for him, we need him. And they would give them like pictures, everything, <laughs> while, while the Shimbet knew where my dad was all the time. And they would tell the, is the IDF, just this house, don't go there, we have some, something special going on. <laughs> and was the something special that my dad was there? <laughs> Three years, 
I remember once, even the Israeli political uh, level, they started to put lots of pressure on the Shin Bet. How come you can't assassinate or get Hassan Yusuf? Every Hamas leader is gone. They're either arrested or killed. And this guy is alive. Like, what, what's, 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 what's going on? And the Shembet, you know, it's like he's smart enough, you know. So finally, like, it's very hard to find him. Because they couldn't say that it's, it's because of me. So, but try to imagine this kid who was just out of control, want to take revenge, trusting his enemies of the life of his father that he loves the most. I love my father. Among men, I love my father the most. Even he disowned me today, and I still love him and respect him a lot. Because on the personal level, he's an amazing man. Now, trusting my enemies with the life of my father. Any moment, they, they could say, it's like, okay, it's, the game is over. Let's get him, you know, and get some credits and some promotions. And, you know, everybody will forget about it. It will be just another secret file that we just threw in the drawer and nobody will get the chance to open it. Very risky. But simply, I trusted my enemies and became friends with my enemies. Now, who I was afraid of? My own people. What if Hamas knew about my relationship with the Shembet? And my relationship with the Shembet, my enemies, was not based on money and, you know, that they, they bought me. Because this is not how things started. It was because of my curiosity. It was because I trusted what my enemy said more than what my people said. And days approved that that my enemies had credibility more than any one of my people. This is what my life and my experience taught me, not because I'm brainwashed, because this is the truth. Now, huge confusion, it's a shock. Just to walk and, you know, nothing around you is real. Nothing. And whatever your people say, you have to go and question it and think about it and you find that you are living a big lie. Now, one day I was walking down the street in Jerusalem, and a cab driver invited me to a Bible study. I didn't speak even one word in English. And he had no idea who I was. I thought about it. I said, why don't I go? I've been in this relationship with the Shembet, Jewish, of course, infidels to Muslims, and I learned a lot from them. So I thought, let's go and see those infidels. Maybe they, I can learn also something from the other <laughs> infidels. It's like, infidels seem to be cool people, you know? <laughs> so, oh, infidels seem to have more credibility than my own people. There is no place for my self-righteousness anymore. <laughs> um, so I, I go to the Bible study, and uh, they give me the Bible, and I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus saying, love your enemy. So I try to imagine, for a, for a moment, the impact of this confused young man who's in the middle of ocean of hate, everybody wants to destroy everybody, and he's totally confused because he didn't know anymore who his, who his enemy is. And all of a sudden, reading... The verse, love your enemy, it made perfect sense. Perfect sense. If I read that verse a few years before, I would throw the Bible on the side and say, this is, this is ridiculous. It's not reasonable. I, I, don't, I don't want even to believe in it. But in that situation, it made perfect sense. 
And since then, I was fascinated about Jesus Christ, personality, teachings. He became my teacher. I didn't uh, consider him as my God, my Lord, my Savior. It took me six years of studying, restudying Islam, studying Christianity, and all the time I was fascinated about Christ. Not about Christians, not about the church, <laughs> about Christ himself. And my focus was Christ all the time. And still, till today, I'm fascinated. The more that I learn about the person of Christ, the more I see how all of us are small. All of us, governments, institutions, uh, religious, uh, uh, seculars, uh, socialists, you can name it. Name as much as you want. Everybody stands small in front of Jesus Christ, wisdom and greatness. Anyway, so, but now, I didn't only find that my father's movement is based on lies and deception. Now, I got the chance to meet with a great leader that he's simply telling me that your entire belief system is built on the wrong stuff. And you need to study more. I start to study Islam. I start to question everything. I discovered huge mistakes that cannot make Islam a religion from God Almighty who created the universe. There is no way. There is no chance. And I can't understand how Muslims argue about this. I just can't understand it. In one sentence, you can approve it. And the problem would be over. But they are not willing to pay the price or the consequences for any move that they make. So now, you are living a lie. Everywhere you go, the mosques are not more than a lie. People there, they have no idea what they're doing. They are victims of their own, of their own God. Your father's organization, your father is spending in and out in prison 16 times. Why are you spending your time? For what? For Islam, it's a lie. For the cause of Palestine, it's another lie. For everything that you do in your life, it's all lies. How can you live like that? And, you know, with your experience, you can approve everything. Everything. It's not just brainwashed, as I told you. It's with every detail in life. You're thinking about it. You're questioning everything. And you, you figure out, wow, it is a lie. And a bunch of lies. So now, it was very hard on my heart. And uh, what kept me... And why I stayed there for a few years after that, because I was part of the Shembet and we were stopping lots of killing in the region. Uh, I had lots of information about suicide bombers, and we had the chance to stop them before they moved. We arrested many of the masterminds be be uh, behind the suicide bombing that targeted Americans, uh, Jews, uh, Christians, even Palestinians. And uh, for that reason, I stayed there. I don't get any credit. My Lord gets all the credit. We saved many lives in that region with the name of Christ. So when people come and, uh, and question and say, what Jesus is doing? Jesus is doing a lot. For 10 years, nobody had an idea who I was and what I was doing there. I was the only Christian among 2,000 terrorists in the desert of Negev. 2,000 terrorists, I was the only Christian. 
We didn't have a ceremony. We didn't have church every Sunday in the morning. We didn't have you know, people singing and encouraging, you know. And we didn't have like you know even the Bible. Some, a friend of mine had to smuggle the Bible, you know. So, and I had the best relationship with him. So he was working in my life. And in every meeting, I thought, if this is from the Bible, I do it. If it's not from the Bible, I don't do it. Just to be safe. Let me try to see what this person, Jesus Christ, is trying to do. I want to obey and try to follow his directions. For 10 years, my father is still alive. If I was in the picture, he could be killed 10 times in a row. I am still alive. Many people, including terrorists, are still alive. So simply, you know, thank God that I'm here today and I'm sharing this with you. Thank God that I got the chance to write Son of Hamas to see the work of God. And today, I hope this story will give me enough credibility to tell you that the biggest danger that we are facing in our world today, Muslims and Christians, is the religion of Islam. And I can approve it and I have enough evidence, and I can talk about it as much as you want, and I can answer your questions. So this is where I'm coming from, this is who I am, and this is what I'm doing now, and thank you very much. Thank you, Musab. Thank you, Musab. Grateful for that, my man. Thank you for that. Please, have a seat. Incredible. Wow. Man. Yeah, I got a few questions. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's incredible, uh, you know, and if you haven't had a chance to read his book, I just, I can't recommend it enough. You rocked my world when I read it earlier for the series. Uh, but, I mean, tell me a little bit, that was a provocative comment you made at the end. What is the real nature of Islam? It's a violent uh, nature. It is. And uh, in order to understand Islam, we need to study the personality of Muhammad. As Christians, as Jesus Christ followers, we know God through the person of Christ. And we know Islam through the person of Muhammad. So this is how we understand Islam and the real nature of Islam. Did Muhammad kill? We ask Muslims. Did he kill? Forget about the peaceful verses, whatever, that uh, they are there to protect and give Islam a, a nice picture or a nice image. Did Muhammad kill? Yes, he did, regarding to the Islamic resources. Did he rape? Yes, he did. Ooh. Did he marry nine years old child? Yes, he did. So how can you justify all that? And is this the real nature of his journey? And is this your highest example? Yes, he is. Then this is the real nature of Islam, and this is what Islam is all about. Now, he's called, uh, the prophet Muhammad is central to Islam. What, it, what is his prophecy? Did he perform miracles? This is, this is a very good question. Muhammad died before he told his people his prophecy. I am not joking, but you can laugh at it. The guy did not tell his people the prophecy. He calls himself a prophet and he does not have a prophecy. And miracle, he does not have a miracle. I, I, I remember, he has a miracle. He has a miracle that he flew on a donkey from Mecca to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. 
This is why Jerusalem is a very important uh, place and holy site for Muslims, because of this miracle. Now, the miracle that you know, Muhammad has, he doesn't have witnesses. Uh, in fact, he has a witness. It's uh, the donkey. <laughs> and since, since then, we have been looking for the donkey, and the donkey is gone. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is the miracle. Other prophets, Jesus Christ, when they performed miracles, there were thousands of people to witness the glory of God Almighty. Not to do it, not to do it in the darkness and during the night and come and say, I had the donkey. You know, the donkey was the witness. So this is Muhammad. Without a prophecy, without a miracle. Without a message, in fact. What is it that Christ offers that Islam does not? Salvation through God's grace. This is something that, you know, in, in Islam, it doesn't matter. As much as you work, you are in debt. No matter what you do, you're not accepted. And you cannot guarantee going to heaven no matter what you do. Only one thing, and think about this for a second. Only one thing that can clear your debts and guarantee you going to heaven. Jihad. The holy fight by the sword against infidels who don't believe in Allah. This is the only thing that can guarantee you going to heaven. So try to think how evil is that. Works, 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 works. More debts, desperation, you have no hope, and the only hope to become a suicide bomber. And the problem is solved. This is what Islam has to offer. Jesus Christ, you know, yes, he encouraged us to do good deeds and to work and become, be bitter people all the time. But his grace, what covers us. Amen. Not, he's not asking us to become suicide bombers to approve that we qualify to be his children or qualify to heaven. Right. Now, you said something interesting. You said that Islam is not a religion of peace, but that many Muslims are peaceful. Can you explain that distinction? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I believe that most Muslims don't understand what Islam is all about. I guarantee you. First of all, we have 1.5 billion Muslims around the world. 300 million of them only speak Arabic. 1.2 billion Muslims don't speak Arabic, which means that they don't speak the language of the Quran. And even if they read Arabic, they don't understand the language of the Quran because it is not the language, the street language that is used today. So simply they read something that they don't understand, very similar to the dark ages when the Bible was in Greek and people couldn't understand it. And they didn't, they just followed the uh, lead and the... Uh, teachings of their leaders, religious leaders. This is the same situation now in the Middle East. And uh, because of that, I say that Muslims are victims. They were born like this. They are not terrorists in nature. Most of them are peaceful. But they become dangerous when they come and say that Islam is a religion of peace because they judge Islam when they look at themselves. They look at themselves. They are not terrorists. They are not participating, participating in any terrorist action. So it's easier for them, instead of denouncing their heritage of Islam, it's easy to say Islam is a religion of peace because we are peaceful people. And 
there where the problem starts. And they need to understand the real nature of their religion and say if they are Muslims or not Muslims after understanding what Islam is all about. It's, it's fascinating. Um, and let me ask, I mean, because you, so you were in the heart of Hamas, Islamic terrorist organization, then working for Shin Beit, the Israeli intelligence uh, uh, you know, organization, and in the midst of it became a born-again Christian. How did you not lose your mind? I don't know how to ask that. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Maybe I have. <laughs> I cannot guarantee, you know. Many people accuse me that, you know, I have problems and, you know, I don't know what I'm saying. They can't say whatever they want to say, you know. Uh, it's very tough. Yeah. Uh, nobody wants to wake up in the morning and uh, understand that he's living a lie. Then after that, you know, if Islam is a lie, if religion is a lie, religion in general is not the way to heaven, and if it's intelligence services are not the solution, governments mm -hmm. are not the solution, then what's the solution? Then you start to lose hope in humanity in general. And it's very tough when you see and disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Uh, it's not easy for one person to go through this uh, journey, but if we keep our focus all the time, yeah on the Lord, and I ask myself many times, what if the Lord was in my position? What would he do? I think he would, be, would face the same circumstances and he will end up killed. We will kill him again. Many times I say, if God comes back right. again today, right. what would we do? Yeah. And I'm afraid that maybe Christians will participate in his killing. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Because we are far away of what Jesus Christ is teaching us and our focus on the side yeah. things. So it's very hard on one person and uh, I recognize that. But thank God that I keep my focus on him and whatever I face in my life is nothing comparing to what he had to face. And we just, this is our highest example. And we accept the persecution with a big smile on our faces. <laughs> incredible, incredible, absolutely incredible. Incredible. You know, um, one of the things that I was really impressed by in your book is um, how even though your father ended up disowning you, you have retained the greatest respect and love for him. What is your relationship like with your father today? Do you intend to return to the Middle East? Yes, I'm planning on returning to the Middle East soon. Maybe not uh, my town unless uh, I go undercover. Okay. Maybe. Okay. We're thinking about it. Okay. It will be fun to do. Um, <laughs> your, cover, your cover is now blown. That's <laughs> Um, it will be risky, but it will be interesting. If I maybe you see it, uh, of course, uh, on YouTube after we we do it. Um, uh, but I I'm thinking to go back to the mm -hmm. Middle East, and uh, when I say go back, it doesn't have to be physically being back. Okay. Uh, we're thinking to launch a radio station, a TV station, uh, some drama work that will uh, open the eyes of our people, and try to change uh, the entire Middle East by. Showing people the truth, that we lived it. I lived it for real. I know what it's all about. And I lived different things and environments in my life that maybe give me some, let's say, credibility um, or confidence uh, to choose a different way that people are not choosing now. And I'm not the only one. We have thousands of people uh, who are coming to Christ and thousands of people who are leaving Islam uh, with very good uh, creative uh, ideas mm. that we will work all together and try to destroy this monster 
that has been enslaving our people. And this is the, w- the only way, you know, to get back yeah. together with my daddy. I still respect my father because he's my father. On the personal level, I love him, I forgive him, and I understand where he's coming from, and I ask him for forgiveness. And this is, this is how it represents the entire Muslim world, my, my father. You know, this is how I look toward my people. I love them, I forgive them, even if they want to kill me. This doesn't matter at this uh, moment, and I'm sure that we will be... Uh, together again, but I have to tell them the truth that I have witnessed. Final question. The title of our series is Islam. Can we coexist? I would say absolutely not. We cannot coexist with Islam, but we can coexist with Muslims. Hmm. We can love on them unconditionally. We are required to this. It's our duty to love everybody unconditionally. But when it comes to the truth of Islam, the real nature of Islam, we cannot compromise that. How can we coexist with an evil idea like that? So we say the truth, we study about it, and we share it with others. Our goal not to offend them, and our goal not to cause a clash between Christianity and Islam. This is not our goal at all. But let ideas clash. Let's see, the idea of unconditional love Versus the idea of hatred, no matter what. Mm. Powerful. Uh, we can't express our gratitude that you would come all this way to share your story with us. And we are so thankful for you in the light that you are shining in a very dark world. Can we thank Masab? Thank you very much. Thank you, Masab. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Incredible. Incredible. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. If you haven't picked up a copy, just it will, it will open your eyes and expand your heart, just as God has been doing through a whole series. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for Masab in the ministry that he has and the way God's using him. Would you join me? Father, we, um, we're in awe, God, <laughs> that the cross <laughs> can take somebody who is born into a family of terrorists and make them a son of God. You've taken the son of Hamas and making him a brother in Christ, and we are in awe. And we thank you, Father, for the power of the gospel unto salvation. You came for us when we were your enemies. And I thank you for the way, Lord, that you, your gospel is pouring forth your hope, even through Masab's life. I ask for his protection. Lord, we ask for his blessing. Would you just multiply his influence so that people would see something that doesn't happen in the world, but only happens through the power of the resurrected Christ. We ask that in his name. And all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.